He had been in pain for quite a while, uh, but it started off small, and it gradually got worse. But every time he, he felt the pain, uh, he, he had some kind of excuse, some kind of reason to justify why he must be in pain. Uh, he slept wrong, or he worked out and must have tweaked something. But finally, he realized that his whole body was pretty much in pain, and so he went to the doctor and found out he actually had cancer, and it was throughout his body now. If only he would have listened to the warning signs and took action sooner. Everyone tried to warn her of the warning signs about this guy, but she didn't listen. She had every excuse in the book as to why he was the way he was and, and justified why he did what he did, and so she went ahead and married him. And now a few years later, she wished she would have listened to the warning signs because it would have saved her emotional abuse, physical pain, and a failed marriage. If only they would have listened to the warning signs. If only someone would have followed up on what seems so obvious now that they look back, families wouldn't be suffering right now because of another mass shooting. They would have just listened to the warning signs. She wishes she would have listened to the warning signs. She wishes she wouldn't have hired her. But in this economic climate, she needed somebody, and so she hired this person, thinking and hoping it would be okay. But now it clearly isn't okay, and now she has to fire her, and there's going to be all kinds of legal ramifications that come with it. If only she would have listened, recognized, and listened to the warning signs, everything would have been all right. We know what it's like to look back on life and think, man, if only I would have just listened to the warning signs that were there. To be fair, I think we're actually getting better at listening to warning signs, especially in, in the social media age. It's easier to share information. It's easier to share, here are warning signs for this, this, and this, and we know what they are. And we're getting better, I think, at listening to the different warning signs out there. But the, the question that I want to ask today is a more searching one, and that is, do you recognize God's warning signs? And are you listening to them? Fortunately for us, unfortunately for them, we have an example of that in Scripture this morning as we look at 2 Kings chapter 17. We've been in this series called Reality Check, and what we've been looking at is the, the different kings between the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Real quick background information for you. Uh, 1000 BC, King David ruled all of what was the kingdom of Israel. So did King Solomon. He ruled all of Israel. After King Solomon, the nation split into two, where the ten northern tribes became the kingdom of Israel, and the two southern tribes became known as the kingdom of Judah. And as we walk through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we go back and forth between Israel and Judah, between the different kings. All of them are Jewish people. All of them were God's people that he brought out of Egypt. But the northern tribes were particularly evil. There weren't any good kings that ruled up north. There were some good kings that ruled the south. 
And if you've been confused during the series, uh, we had Neil who provided a great, uh, some great paperwork back on that table for us where it lays out the kings, it lays out the prophets to each king, which king was in what nation. So I encourage you to pick up those papers on the way out to keep everything um, on track so that you can know who's who and where are they. The kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, where it was a kingdom for over 200 years, and all 200 years, God reached out to them. Repent, turn, come back to God, come back to me, make me your God. And yet, king after king worshipped false gods. And as the king goes, so did the people. Until finally, we hear of the very last king of Israel today. His name was Hosea. We're in 2 Kings chapter 17. Here's what we're told. In the twelfth year of Ahaz king of Judah, so Ahaz ruling the south, Hosea, son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria. and He reigned nine years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up to attack Hosea, who had been Shalmaneser's vassal and had paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria discovered that Hosea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to So, king of Egypt, and he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, Shalmaneser seized him and put him in prison. Stop right there. Hosea becomes king uh, around 730 B.C., and he was paying tribute to the kingdom of Assyria, who was the worldwide power at that time. Uh, think of the biggest terrorist group you can think of, and that was pretty much Assyria. They were a barbaric nation. They loved to torture. They loved to kill. They loved to have fun with you before you, they killed you. Uh, that was Assyria, and they were scary. And so what the arrangement was made from Assyria to Israel was, we'll let you live... We'll not mess with you as long as you pay us a tribute every year. Part of your budget just comes straight to us, and we let you live. Well, after a few years, Hosea said, I'm done doing that. And he goes and he makes an alliance, or tries to make an alliance, with Egypt. He sends envoys to them, cuts off the tribute to Assyria, sends envoys to Egypt, and apparently somehow Assyria finds out what happens. Egypt doesn't come to rescue, and Shalmaneser comes down and captures Hosea. Not only that, but then he lays siege to the city. Here's what we're told. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria, and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Hala, in Gozen, on the Harbor River, and in the towns of the Medes. Shalmaneser puts the city of Samaria, the capital city, to siege for three years. Which in one sense isn't that long, it's three years. But imagine being in the city for three years as your resources dwindle, as a supply chain lacks as the shelves in the marketplaces get barer and barer. And over time, people starve. 
the resources run out, until finally the king takes over. Uh, during that three-year period, Shalmaneser actually stopped being king, and Sargon II took over, and he's the one who actually came in, destroyed Samaria, and then what he did was he took the people of the kingdom of Israel and deported them. The people who thought they were so wise in their own eyes, the philosophers, the governing officials, the wealthy, and he deported them all. Not to one city together, but he scattered them throughout Assyria. This is why the kingdom of Israel is known as the Ten Lost Tribes, because after this, we don't know really anything about these people. They never become a nation again. We don't know what happened to them, other than they were deported throughout the entire country of Assyria. Why did God allow this to happen? Here's why. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place, they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I have delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. Why did all this happen? Because for over 200 years, the kings and the people partook in idolatry. They worshipped other gods besides God, God himself. They worshipped Baal. They worshipped Asherah poles. They bowed down to every statue. They offered their children in fire sacrifices to the god of Molech. You name it, they did it. And after 200 years of God sending warning after warning, God finally sent judgment on the people and he scattered them scattered them through Assyria. Idolatry and worshiping false gods. We hear of offering your child in a, in a fire sacrifice to the god of Molech, and we, we shake our heads and say, how could anyone ever do that? Here's how. Verse 14. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord, their God. They did not trust in the Lord, their God. It's your first point this morning. Idolatry results from a lack of trust in God's promises. Here's how it worked for the Israelites. The kingdom of Israel, God sent prophet after prophet that said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. But then a drought hit. And it was a, a long drought. And so what did the Israelites do? They thought to themselves, you know what? The God of the people we just drove out, they never had a drought. The land was filled with milk and honey. 
it was described as. It was flowing with it. Maybe we should worship their God too, just in case, because we don't trust that God's going to bring us out of this drought. And so they start worshiping both God and the false God. And pretty soon what happens? They stop trusting God completely and go to the idol. Or here's another example. The kingdom of Israel was being threatened by another nation, and God would send a prophet and say, don't worry, I am with you. They're not going to overtake you. Trust in me. Don't go make an alliance with that nation over there because they're going to introduce you to false gods. And the king would look and say, yeah, I don't trust that. And he would go and make an alliance with another country who did introduce idolatry to the people. A lack of trust in God's promises lead, leads to idolatry. And so what idol is in your heart? I know it seems maybe a little ridiculous and primitive even to think of bowing down to an, an actual statue of an idol. And an idol can be anything. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. An idol is anything that you love more than God or trust more than God. And so if you want to know what idol you're clinging to, all you have to do is go down the line. Where, where are you lacking trust in God's promises? In what aspect of your life? Find where the trust is struggling. Walk down that line and you will find your idol. I'll give you an example. God promises to us. Actually, Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, your Father in heaven knows what you need. He knows you need food. He knows you need shelter. He knows that you need clothing. And he does all this for the birds. The birds don't have pantries stored away with food. Your heavenly Father knows what you need, and he will provide it. And if we don't trust that promise, where do we lead? Where does it lead? Do something else that will provide for us, which is money. And how do I make more money? I hustle. I work longer hours. I have a side hustle where I make more money on the side. And I fill my life with work because why? The more work I do, the more money I have coming in. The more money I have, the more secure. And, and where does our trust go? It goes from God to money. And even though we don't sacrifice our children in the fire to Molech, we sacrifice family time as we bow down to the almighty dollar because it's going to provide for us. It is going to take care of us. Another example. We love to help people. We, we love to be in people's lives. And Jesus promises that he takes care of all of us, that he's on his throne ruling all things, and yet we struggle to trust that he's going to take care of them in a good way. And so where does, the, where does the lack of trust lead? I become the idol. I become the savior. I can save that person. And so every time they call, I answer. Every time they need me, I'm there for them. Every time they need financial help, backing, whatever, I'm there because, God, I don't trust you to take care of them the way that they need, and yet what does God know? Maybe they need to hit rock bottom to turn back to their Lord. 
but I have such a savior complex that I'm not allowing God to do his work. Maybe the idol, the lack of trust, is the same thing that the Israelites had, which was, we've heard this warning again and again, Lord, for over 200 years, you've been sending prophet after prophet to us to say that judgment is coming. There's no judgment. God, nothing bad is going to happen. My, my parents did this, I'm doing this, and nothing bad has happened. And so there's no judgment coming. And instead of humbling and submitting to God's word and changing my sinful ways, I bow down to the sinful passions and desires that I have. Because God, you're not bringing judgment. Where in your life are you struggling to trust God's promises? If you follow it, it will lead you to your idol. And it's my prayer today that we heed God's warning, that we listen to his word and turn that we give up the idols and turn to our God. Why? Because God's warning is not a warning of control. It's not a warning because he doesn't want you to have fun. Instead, it's your last point. God warns his people out of love. I have a particular gift with Riley Rose, my nine-month-old. And it's the gift to make her cry. I'm not particularly proud of it. I don't like doing it. Uh, But it's necessary, because I quite literally saved her life. Uh, Riley Rose is in this stage where she crawls, and she puts everything in her mouth and wants everything in her mouth, including the lamp that is plugged directly into the electrical outlet. She will crawl up to that electrical outlet and bite down on that electrical cord if you let her. And so I see her start crawling over there, and I say, what? No. And she'll stop and turn and look at me and then take off for that electrical cord. And I say, no. She stops, looks at me, turns back and goes for it again. This time, I pick her up and move her. And she cries and she flails around, acting like I'm killing her. But I'm saving her. I'm saving her life. Am I a hero? I really can't say. (laughs) But yes. (laughs) Not all heroes wear capes. Uh, But what I'm doing is literally saving her life. When God warns us, he's literally saving our lives. Because what does God know? God knows that apart from him, there is no life. God knows that apart from him is hell. That's literally what hell is, separation from God for eternity. And what does God want for you and me? He wants us to have life and have it to the full. He wants us to have eternal life. And no idol will bring you eternal life. Instead, what does an idol do? It happily takes you by the hand and walks you into hell. And so God comes to us with his word of warning again and again. Repent, turn, turn to me. Give up your idolatry. Trust in me because I love you and I care for you. 
and I will go to whatever extreme necessary to warn you and to save you. Even if it meant deporting his people from their land. You want to talk about a big wake-up call for Israel. How about judgment finally coming and being deported from the land that you grew up in? God was willing to go that far to wake the people up and say, come to me, turn to me. God is willing to go to the extreme to warn us and save us. And so maybe we should listen. Because just how far would he go to warn us and save us of sin's punishment and idolatry? He would send his one and only son. He'd send the Son of God, Jesus Christ, into this world to do what? Literally endure hell. He literally walked into hell as he was on the cross. He took the punishment for all of our sins, for all the time that we lacked trust in God. We failed to trust him and we clung to an idol instead. Jesus died to pay for. He endured hell for you and me to free us from our sin, to forgive us for idolatry, to save us from the eternal fires of hell, to save you and me. And now he comes with warning after warning. Turn to me. Trust in me. And why would we want to do it? Because look how loving our God is. Look how far he'd go to have us as his own give up his one and only son. Jesus would go so far to leave his throne, to come here so that he lived the perfect life of trusting God above all in every situation. He trusted God even when it meant going to the cross because he knew it brought you eternal salvation. If God's willing to go that far to have you as his own, his word of warning is a warning of love. Not of one of control. Not of one of, of not wanting you to have fun and enjoy life. No, he wants you to have life and have it to the full. And that's in him. Found only in him. And so today, let's identify where we're, we're lacking trust in God's promises. And then look to the cross and the empty tomb where we see just how much our God loves us, cares for us, that he went to the cross to pay for our sins, endure hell, so that he could be with us forever and we could be with him. If he's willing to do that, then what he promises me will come true today. So let's place ourselves under him. Let's look to him. Let's remove the idols. Let's let go of them as we trust in the promises of God because he's a God who cannot lie. He's a God filled with love. And we see it as we open up scripture and look to Jesus. God be with us as we do just that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and we thank you for your graciousness and your mercy. Uh, and we see that even in your words of warning. We see that even as you scattered Israel uh, as a big wake-up call to come back to you. As, as we hear your word through your pastors and your teachers, uh, as we open up scripture, Help us to take it to heart and then turn from our ways and trust in you as our Savior God. Uh, all we have to do is look to the cross to see how much you love us and care for us, uh, that you would send your one and only Son 
to save us eternally. Be with us today. Uh, and send your Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to change our ways uh, so that we may trust in you uh, and then walk into the gates of heaven hand in hand with you. We can't wait for that day, Lord. We ask you to be with us, bless us. In your name we pray, amen.